0: The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with whom i am well pleased at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days Being tempted by Satan he was with the wild animals and angels attended him after John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God the time has come he said the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe in the good news
1: One of the big news stories in the past couple of weeks has been the build-up of Russian forces on the border of Ukraine. Uh, It's uh, quite amazing to see this, that they can pour so many soldiers in there, uh, get them all right there on the border to scare the life out of the people in in that country. Uh, But that's happened to dozens of countries over the last century. Uh, During the Second World War, Poland and France and other European countries were taken over during the war. And we've seen it closer to home with East Timor and the Indonesian government taking control of that country. We live in a country where freedom and independence is really just taken for granted. Uh, it's difficult for us to understand what it would have been like to just long for freedom, to, to, have, to live in a country where you were free to do what you wanted to do. Back in my school teaching days, I taught with a lady who was, uh, a, who was a Hungarian and it was a little girl in Hungary in 1956 when the Russian invasion took place. Hungary had effectively been under the control of the Russians from the mid-40s onwards, but in 1956, the Hungarian people began to protest about the rule that the Russians had over the country. So the government in Hungary asked the Russian soldiers to come in and take control of the city, and they did. And my friend was saying that it was just terrifying living there at that time. Tanks rolling through the streets, soldiers everywhere, people being arrested, family members of hers who just disappeared. Hundreds of people were executed, thousands more were deported to Russia. People were arrested and imprisoned. The great hope for the people of Hungary for so many years was that one day they would be free to have self government to control their own country and make decisions for themselves i think it's hard for us when we open up the bible to imagine what life must have been like for people in jesus's day they're living under foreign occupation the romans have taken control of israel they hadn't they hadn't had self rule in israel for hundreds of years They'd been occupied by the four big superpowers throughout their history, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now they're living under Roman rule. And for the people of Israel, freedom wasn't a question of politics or self-determination. This went way deeper than that. This was about having God's king on the throne ruling over God's people. wasn't simply about freedom, it was about being the people that God had created them to be, about living freely in the land that God had given them. At the time of Jesus, they longed for that day, for the day when they would be free from foreign rule. They longed for the day that God's kingdom would be established, longed for the day that God would send his king and saviour. And their hope wasn't wishful thinking. Their hope was based firmly on what God had promised he would do. God had promised that he was going to act, that he was going to do something, that he would send the rescuer. Now, all of that is the background to opening up Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. Mark opens his gospel with two prophecies. Uh, that would have been well known to the people of Israel at that time. These would have been Bible passages that these people had committed to memory, that they would recite regularly, longing for the day when this was going to take place. The first one is from Malachi. If you've got the the Mark's Gospel open there, it's verse number 2, but it's actually a longer quote than that. Let me show you what the longer quote says. It says, See, I will send my messenger... ...who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. You see what that's saying? God is coming. God says the messenger will prepare the way for me to come. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, he says... And in the next chapter of malachi it says that he's going to send elijah as the one who prepares the way who announces the coming of god who prepares the way for him to come the other quote that mark gives us just very briefly is one that comes from the book of isaiah and here's where it is in its setting in isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The messenger is going to go ahead to prepare the way for God to come. He's going to build a highway because God is coming. Every time I I hear that passage, I keep thinking of the freeway up north uh, where they've ripped away the sandstone to make a level road. It kind of sounds like what Isaiah is saying is going to happen. The mountains will be laid low so that a road can be prepared for God to come, for God to arrive. But then Mark tells us that John the Baptist came And the response to John was huge. Did you see the language there in Mark's Gospel? Mark chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. And so John came baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And look at what it says next. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised in the Jordan River. John is the one preparing the way for God to come. And then in verse number 6, it's kind of a little throwaway line in Mark's Gospel, but the, the original readers would have understood what this is about. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, this is not a comment on his lack of fashion sense or his early paleo diet that he was working on, This is a hint that would have been understood by the original readers, those who were longing for the kingdom to come. John's wearing the Elijah costume. That's exactly how Elijah is described in the book of Kings. John knows what he's doing and Mark knows what all of this means. See, a whole bunch of threads from the pages of the New Testament are now being pulled together here. The longing of the people is over. God is now doing what he promised he would do. Do you get the setting? Do you get the picture that's being painted for us here? God is about to step onto the world stage. And so what do we read next? Verse number nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Now the full impact of that is a little bit lost on us, I think. The original readers and anyone familiar with the Middle East at that time would have heard Nazareth and would have known exactly what to think. They would have been overwhelmingly underwhelmed by the fact that he's come from Nazareth. Nazareth was kind of the joke town in the Middle East at that time, sort of the Dapto of the Middle East, if we could put it that way. My sincere apologies to anyone who might be from Dapto. Um, But Jesus was also a carpenter, which certainly wasn't going to help the equation. I mean, carpenters are great, don't get me wrong. I've got one in the family I love having a carpenter around. But that's not what you're expecting when you're expecting God to walk on the stage. You're You're expecting royalty, you're expecting a king, you're expecting a leader, maybe a warrior, but not a carpenter and not from Nazareth. I mean, it's as though Mark is saying, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you God in the flesh has come. Jesus, a panel beater from Dapdo. But if there's any doubt what's happening here, it pretty much disappears at verse 10, because look at what it says. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, with John baptising him, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, "'You are my son,' Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is God's son. This is the one that God had promised to send. This is the one who is coming into the world. Some of us will be old enough to remember this Uh, Labour Party campaign back in 1972, Gough Whitlam leading the Labour Party with a very, very simple and very, very catchy slogan that just rang a bell for people at that particular time. It's time. It's time for change. It's time for a different government. It's time for a different way of doing things. Well, Jesus began his ministry with a similar slogan. He said... The time is fulfilled. It's time. Have a look at it there, verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus isn't here just to bring a change of government. He isn't talking about superficial political changes that he's planning to make. It's time, Jesus said, because it's time for God's kingdom to be established here on earth. It's time for people to turn to God. It's time for people to repent and believe in Jesus. Now, I think the right response to this opening chapter of Mark's Gospel is partly to wonder what in the world is going on. Of course, Mark shows us sort of almost contradictory and, and dare I say, confusing things in the beginning of this chapter. I mean, some things are clearly a fulfilment of prophecy. God has promised that he would send a king. He's promised that he would send a rescuer. But you see Jesus and it doesn't look like he's a king. I mean he's from Nazareth and he hasn't exactly come with the army that you'd expect him to have or even just a good leadership team around him. Have a look at who he starts recruiting, verse 16 of chapter 1. As Jesus walked by the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Can I say, this isn't looking terribly impressive. A saviour from Nazareth, and he's rounding up a bunch of Galilean fishermen to be his leadership team. Today, that'd be like rounding up a Bunch of fishermen to be your leadership team. How's he going to establish a kingdom like this? Well, the answer's there. The kingdom that he will establish will come through the preaching of the good news. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority and people are amazed. Pick it up in verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And they're amazed at what he's capable of doing. He casts out demons, he heals the sick, and people are are queuing up by the busload to be healed by Jesus. But the thing that Mark wants to emphasise in this opening chapter is that the preaching of the good news is the priority for Jesus. That will be the thing that is central to this kingdom being established. The miracles are not at the heart of what Jesus came to do. Sure, they back up the claims that Jesus makes. they show us clearly who Jesus is and they confirm the truth of what he says and teaches But the miracles are not how the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes when the good news is preached. The kingdom comes when that message is communicated to people that the king has come. The kingdom comes when people turn from the way that they're living and place their trust in the king. Mark gives us an interesting story right here in this opening chapter. It's a story that helps us understand the miracles and the place that they're going to have within the life and the ministry of Jesus. Pick it up there in verse number 35 of chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is what I have come to do. Jesus has come to preach. That's what stands at the heart of this kingdom being built. People need to hear and believe the good news about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. The tension that you see in these opening chapters uh, comes up a number of times in Mark's gospel. Jesus clearly is the son of God and you can't argue with that fact. He's the one who teaches with authority. He's the one who can heal. He's the one who can save. But Jesus sometimes seems almost unrecognisable in the story. He's the carpenter's son from Nazareth and he's wandering around the countryside with a bunch of Galilean fishermen. There's a contrast between the great things that God is doing and the underwhelming means by which he's doing it. The biggest irony is the one that we find at the end of John's Gospel. That forgiveness and life come through the death of Jesus. That the king establishes his kingdom by being nailed to a cross. He wins by losing. He brings life by dying. That must have seemed pretty crazy back then because it still seems pretty crazy today. The Apostle Paul sums up this strange contradiction for for us by calling it the foolishness of the cross. That God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And God has chosen the preaching of this good news as the way that the kingdom is going to grow. If you sit here this morning as someone who has their trust in Jesus, then this is your king. This is the kingdom that you're a part of. This is the leader that you follow. This is the message that you believe. And this is the message that we're to take to the world. So how are you going to grow in your commitment to this kingdom in 2022? What steps are you going to take this year to be a more faithful follower of Jesus? And most importantly, how can you help others to hear that good news about Jesus? We live in a country where... The number of people who would profess to be Christians seems to be in the decline. But there's so many people who haven't even heard the message or don't even understand what the message of Christianity is. It may look a little strange. It may even sound silly. But Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Saviour. And that is how God is at work in this world. That's how lives are transformed that's how people join god's family by hearing the message about jesus and by placing their trust in him